The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. France, Tim, Ed, Frank, what's the matter with you? Stole one of my horses. Now, you men all know how I feel about lynching. Hanging a horse thief isn't lynching. I don't know a man in Dodge I respect more than you, Rance. The rest of you. Any other time you'd be coming to me with stop a thing like this. I don't know. It must have been this heat's got to you. You're acting crazy with it. We're only doing what has to be done. You've got no right to interfere, Marshal. Now, you men all know me. You know that if this man's done anything wrong, you'll get a fair trial. Uh, go on home, all of you. Find some shade and cool off. I said go home. I said now. What kind of a lawman are you interfering with justice? I said now. We could have done better. Better for who? For everybody. You can see just what he is by looking at him. Gunman. Look how low he wears his holster. Look at the butt of his gun, Marshal. Twelve notches. Yeah, I'm glad you happened by this morning, Marshal. Ain't often the law gives me any help. I believe I got your name. Dylan. I'm Cope Borden. I know who you are. I've seen your face on the wanted posters in my office often enough. Any posters on me now, Marshal? Not lately. Shouldn't be. Just finished six years at Prison Hill. Ah, they were wrong. I didn't steal this horse. That's Rance Bradley's iron he's wearing there. Ah. A lot of people use the same burn. He knows it, you know it, and I know it. Not around here they don't. I didn't get this horse around here. London. It is Thursday, January 15, 2015. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. It's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color. Color into black and white. Under the bedclothes. Everything will be Welcome to our show today where we've got a pretty controversial one for you, I think. We're going to be talking more about the Bill Cosby situation and the real stories behind all the people who have made these allegations. Robert, so far I haven't found one that I can believe. What you've been telling me over the phone, Bob, is astounding. And that is what we're going to be segueing into as our show progresses. But you're going to begin on a slightly different theme. Or not different theme, because we're really talking about the media is the message, isn't it? And it really is. <laughs> the media is always in the thick of things. And they're, they're not only reporting the news, they are the news. Absolutely. Often. But I thought I'd start off with, uh, I couldn't let it go. The Charlie Hebdo thing um, had to make some comments, some observations. Um, you know, days before, though, Charlie Hebdo uh, massacre. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but an estimated 2,000 men, women, and children were killed in Baga, Nigeria by the Islamist group uh, Boko Haram. Now, while a million Parisians and 40 world leaders marched in protest of the Charlie Hebdo shootings, few people in France or anywhere else in the world, for that matter, had even heard of the genocide being uh, committed in Nigeria. Uh, what you know? By the way, the empathy that the million marchers um, in Paris, 
I believe was genuine, but I think it's misplaced. I really do. And that's what this little segment is about, is that misplaced empathy. Islamic atrocities are commonplace, with tens of, actually tens of thousands of attacks having occurred since the Saudi Wahhabis attacked on 9-11. Many tens of thousands have been killed by Muslims in the name of their God and Prophet in the past 13 years, so the death of the 17 in France is but a single drop of blood in the Islamic bucket. So why the outpouring of empathy for Charlie Hebdo cartoonists, but not the Baga Nigerians? This is what interests me the most in this war, this jihad. Not the terrorist attacks, but the reaction. Not the blood, but the ink. Not the sounds of the bullets, but the noise of the pundits. Bullets and terror are, you know, it's actually quite easy to understand bullets and terror. That's easy. Islam and its fundamentalist jihadists are easy to understand. Relatively, I guess. What is difficult to comprehend, I, I surmise, is the capitulation of the West to the soldiers of Islam. First, the reaction to Charlie Hebdo. The uh, distinguishing characteristics of this particular attack was that it was partially captured on video. I'm talking about the shooting of the uh, police officer on the sidewalk and uh, some video of the attackers outside the offices of Charlie Hebdo. And it occurred in a major western city. But it must be said that one of the primary reasons for the apparent disgust felt by Western leaders and ordinary Parisians for the uh, Charlie Hebdo attack was that those who were attacked shared the same political ideology of most French, and certainly the leaders. They were socialists. Stéphane Charbonnet, the editor-in-chief of Charlie Hebdo, was a longtime supporter of the Communist Party in France and actively petitioned to outlaw a rival right-wing party. Had Charlie Hebdo been a so-called right-wing publication, I doubt there would have been a mass protest, and no leader would have stuck his neck out, shedding a tear for the dead. As for the symbol of the protest, the pen held aloft, it supposedly represents freedom of speech. Freedom of speech, by the way, is held in such high regard in France that it actually banned Charlie Hebdo for mocking the death of former yeah. French president Charles de Gaulle. Irony. <laughs> Hypocrisy. At the time, it went by the name Harakiri, and it was only uh, by changing its name to Charlie Hebdo that it was allowed to continue its publication. So freedom of speech is so pri- prized in France that after the Charlie Hebdo shootings, French President Hollande issued a warning of a crackdown on offensive speech. That's how much they prize free speech. So hold those pens aloft, protesters. Freedom of speech is so loved in France that I could not find one cover of Charlie Hebdo held aloft in the million-man protests following the shooting. The cover and its depictions of Muhammad were what the terrorists were supposedly offended about, yet the crowd of protesters chanting, We are not afraid! were too afraid to be seen in public with a cartoon depicting Muhammad. But of course, it's not just in France. Do we witness such hypocrisy in Canada? The CBC refused to show the Charlie Hebdo covers, ostensibly for fear of offending Muslims, but in reality for fear of being bombed by Muslims, who might be offended. Likewise, the New York Times capitulated, as did the BBC, The Guardian, the NCNN, so much for standing up for free speech. 
That's why I think the media is the message, because they're the ones behind a lot of this. In fact, I submit that it's because the majority of news publications and television stations fear to show a picture of Muhammad that isolates publications like Charlie Hebdo. They stand out. They become sitting ducks for Islamic terrorists because they're the only ones showing these cartoons. And if CNN and BBC and CBC and The Guardian and all the other major news outlets regularly showed um, pictures of Muhammad, when it's a news item, of course as it was with the uh, the other cartoons uh, in recent years, then it would become as commonplace and there would be no fear of showing the Muhammad cartoons. So big places like Charlie Hebdo would not stand out. You know, as Paul McKeever noted in a recent blog post, which, by the way, can be found at paulmckeever.ca, the, quote, Paris attacks were not truly a response to insult, but a tactic to replace democracy with Sharia. He's totally correct. It's not about free speech. It's about Sharia. So put down your pens and take up arms, because arms might be the only thing left to stop this war, as you can't reason with jihadists. They don't fear the pen. They is don't it, fear the spoken word. Is it, is it the jihadists we need to reason with, or the, or, the, or the forces in the West? That's where the pen might be mightier than the sword with, with the Western people, wouldn't you think? I'm starting to have my doubts yeah. whether or not... Um, the written word in this country is having any effect. I, I, sometimes, you know, maybe in my, my pessimistic mood, yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, some sane voices are just simply not being heard out there because places like the CBC and um, you know, the Globe Mail and uh, not so much the National Post because they've been pretty good about this, but uh, major news outlets, you know, are just simply not um, saying what has to be said out there. Then there's Pope Francis. And I just read this while I was waiting in the green room yeah, to come we're in here. About it, yeah. Unbelievable. Um, here's a quote from the Pope about the Charlie Hebdo shootings. If a close friend if a close friend um can't read my writing. I think, I think <laughs> says a, so as a swear yeah. word against my mother, he's going to get a punch in the nose. One cannot provoke. One cannot insult other people's faith. One cannot make fun of faith. What? How, how, am I, how is anybody supposed to take this other than the murders were justified in the, in the eyes of the Pope? This is absolutely despicable how he could say stuff like that. He would resort to violence over an insult. This is the Pope? Well, this he, is the Vicar of Christ? He didn't actually say that, but he did imply it by... by no, well, actually, this yeah. is this is a quote. If a friend, if a close friend, um, oh, yeah, says a right. swear word against my mother, he's going to get a punch in the nose. That's literal. That's what he said. Well, even that's not justified. If somebody no, swears, of course it, not. Can't punch them in the nose. If a close friend swore <laughs> against my mother, he wouldn't be a close friend anymore. Yeah. That's it. I wouldn't punch him in the nose. I don't know. Another interesting observation of the reaction of the West is the denial that these tens of thousands of deaths in the name of the Muslim God Allah don't have anything to do with Islam. Francois Hollande remarked that, quote, the terrorists were madmen and fanatics who had nothing to do with the Muslim religion, unquote. Perhaps he didn't see the video of them gunning down that police officer in the street, shouting that they had just avenged Allah, or shouting Allah Akbar while shooting up Charlie Hebdo's office. Well, of course he did. He says that these attacks don't have anything to do with that religion, because of the very nature of terrorism. Terrorism causes terror. 
and Francois Hollande and other multiculti progressives are terrified. They're terrified of Muslims, all Muslims. And in their terror, they try to appease these crazed theocrats by denying that a Muslim shouting Allahu Akbar, killing cartoonists to avenge Allah, is not connected in any way at all with Islam. It just boggles the mind. Progressives claim that only a small fraction of Muslims are terrorists, citing figures of about 1%. Well, 1% of 1.5 billion Muslims are a lot of screaming savages in my books. My calculator, 1.5 million. As for those Muslims considered non-terrorists, a 2007 Pew Research poll asked whether suicide bombings and other forms of violence against civilian targets to defend Islam could be justified. Only 64% said it could never be justified. Well, that's actually heartwarming. 64% of Muslims said that violence is not justifiable. But that leaves 35% that said it could be justified. That works out to about 1.75 million French Muslims who may well have thought that the Charlie Hebdo shootings were justified. That's scary, folks. For the French president to deny such sentiments sentiments is tantamount to cultural suicide. I think we should feel lucky in Canada that we have such prominent Muslims as Salim Mansur, Tariq Fatah, Rahil Raza, to name a few, who condemn in the strongest terms the actions of Islamic terrorists and are not afraid to label them as Islamic. Not not only that, they understand the issue. Oh, they do. And bring us an understanding that you and I could never arrive at They have taught us so much, indeed. You know, this is from Muslims Facing Tomorrow's press release issued immediately after the Charlie Hebdo attack. Quote, We share our Prime Minister's sentiments as we are similarly angered and saddened by the murderous rampage of three French-born Muslims mounting their terror attack in the heart of Paris. Those so um, violently murdered at the offices of Charlie Hebdo are the latest count of the ever-increasing death toll of non-Muslims and Muslims at the hand of jihadists of Islamism. A fascistic and cruel and bloodthirsty ideology that has run amok in our world, unquote. And this is from Muslims, Muslims facing tomorrow. These brave Muslims have more courage in properly identifying the true nature of the tactor as Muslims, as Islamists, as jihadists, than anybody else. In order to fight an enemy, you must first identify them. We're not at war with madmen or fanatics. We're at war with Sharia, Sharia-loving Muslim jihadists. I really must commend Prime Minister Stephen Harper, Bob, on his recognition of terrorism as being Muslims acting in the name of Islam. In 2011, Harper said that Islamic terrorists, or Islamic terrorism, is the greatest threat facing Canada. The day after Charlie Hebdo's attack, or Charlie Hebdo attack, he was one of the very few leaders who was not afraid to label the acts as those being by international jihadists. There's hope for Canada, but I'm afraid France is preparing to do what it did in 1940, capitulate to the enemy. Bob, we're witnessing the second Vichy France. But let me just say this. Um, with reference, obviously, to the attack yesterday and to all the questions you're asking me today. The reality of the world is the following, and and I don't say this out of any particular pleasure or excitement, in fact, quite the contrary, but it is a fact. The fact of the matter is this, ladies and gentlemen, that the international jihadist movement has declared war 
They have declared war on anybody who does not think and act exactly as they wish they th would think and act. They have declared war and already are uh, executing it on a massive scale on a whole range of countries with which they are in contact. And they have declared war on any country like ourselves that values freedom, openness, and tolerance. And we may not like this and wish it would go away, but it is not going to go away. And the reality is we are going to have to confront it. That's what obviously we're doing in concert with our allies, dealing with the very worst manifestation of this, which is an entire jihadist army that is now occupying large elements of large parts of Iraq and Syria. And obviously other things we are doing both here and in concert with our allies to try and prevent and deal with uh, terrorist planning uh, on our own soil. And this is going to be, unfortunately, uh, the reality of the world that I think we're living in for some time to come, and we're just going to have to face that head on and deal with it. And that's uh, what our government's committed to do. Cosby, it has been a week of allegations from women who say they were sexually assaulted in the past by the comedian. Many claim they were drugged. I never saw any drugs, but I would wake up um, completely confused, half-dressed, and knowing that my body had been touched without my permission. Bowman says she went to Cosby's New York apartment alone and that Cosby flew her all around the country as he performed at various venues. But she says the advances were unwelcome. Also speaking out, Joan Tarshish. We went up to his uh, bungalow afterwards. He made me a drink and very shortly after that I just, I passed out. Um, I woke up or came to very groggily with him removing my underwear. Tarshish says that in 1969 she voluntarily saw Cosby again when he invited her to a performance. After accepting drinks at his hotel and in a limo, she says she woke up the next morning with him in his bed. Ironically, Cosby released a comedy album that same year titled It's True, It's True, joking about that very issue. You know what? You know anything about Spanish fly? No, tell me about it. Well, there's this girl, Crazy Mary. You put some in her drink, man. She... But with all the allegations, and even after Andrea Cunston went to police saying Cosby medicated and fondled her in 2004, the district attorney of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania at the time, Bruce Castor, said there would be no charges. Constant and Cosby settled a civil suit out of court for an undisclosed sum in 2006. Also in 2005, Tamara Green on the Today Show with a similar story. You know, he had gone from helping me to groping me and kissing me and touching me and handling me. In 2005, Cosby spoke out for the first and only time, telling the National Enquirer, I am not going to give in to people who try to exploit me because of my celebrity status. Now, nine years later, Cosby's attorney, John Schmidt, has responded to it all with this statement. Over the last several weeks, decade-old discredited allegations against Mr. Cosby have resurfaced. The fact that they are being repeated does not make them true. Now, Bob, you've taken the lead on this Bill Cosby issue, but there are a number of elements to it that, which have interested me.
the feminist angle has already been touched on, of course, mm-hmm. by you uh, last week. And um, I know that you have more to tell in the second half of the show. Oh, there's not enough time in 10 shows to tell <laughs> the whole story, but we're going to do what yeah. we can. Okay. Um, but of that, uh, of that angle, the feminist angle, I have this to say. The feminist protesting Cosby have as their goal, I believe, the destruction of truth and the complete destruction of any normal relationship between a man and a woman. Paul McKeever, again, noted as much on his Facebook page when he suggested that the redefinition of consent, which they're pushing for, will result in men and women having a lot less to do with each other, which he sees as their real goal. And I had agreed, because that, that, you know, that is what is happening out there. But more interesting, or at least more important, than the feminist angle to the Cosby affair is the call by many to abolish two tenets of law, which have, uh, I believe, protected the innocent for so many years. The presumption of innocence, which again, Bob, you've covered on last week's show, and the necessity in some crimes for a statute of limitations. Now, as far as I know, Canada has no statute of limitations for indictable offenses. Summary offenses, yes, but not indictable offenses. Many jurisdictions outside Canada, however, and the United States being included in that, I th- uh, do. And I think for good reasons. I'll go over them. First, one has to question why a plaintiff would wait years to file a complaint for a serious crime. Although I can think of a, some good reasons, one, of course, being fear of retribution. Um, I believe, given the presumption of innocence, tenant, that, that particular tenant, uh, that waiting decades to file a complaint can be considered a form of harassment to the accused. Take, for example, a case where a woman has consensual sex with a man, but after the uh, deed says that she changed her mind and will one day file a complaint against him. Time passes until decades. And decades later, she reminds him of her threat. This, I think, is a level of cruelty. Then there is the fact that after a length of time, evidence becomes lost or destroyed, such as with DNA and fingerprints, and memories become confused and tainted. Who can remember what happened to them 40 or 50 years ago? Now, while a victim might find an event traumatic and therefore have a good memory of it, as anybody does, for example, if they witness a crime or have something terrible happen to them, they have a very clear memory of it as if it happened yesterday. But what of the accused, who at the time might have considered his or her actions to be innocuous? They might not even remember anything at all about the event, and so cannot mount any sort of defense for a crime he can no longer remember, you know, in a trial decades later. No, if a claim had been made at the time of the alleged crime, or just shortly thereafter, the accused would have had more memory of it, and could mount a proper defense. And lastly, the case for a statute of limitations for some indictable offenses prevents professional accusers from laying bogus claims on the innocent. Say, for an example, someone comes up to you and says that they had met you at a party 40 years ago and that at that party you copped a feel in a drunken stupor. They're lying and they're preying on you, knowing full well that you would have no recollection of such an event, not only because we were drunk, but because 40 years have passed. And you have to tell yourself that it could have happened to you, but you have no memory of it. A judge might buy it, but you'd be completely in the dark as to what um, has, has transpired, and you would have been railroaded. You know, extortion. 
You got it. In the case of murder or kidnapping or in a case of aggravated rape, I believe that, of course, there should be no statute of limitations for any serious crime like that, just given the seriousness of the, uh, the nature of that crime. But in the case of he said, she said case of alleged hanky-panky, and I use those words specifically, and you'll explain why <laughs> later on yep. in the show, or stolen kiss at a party, acts which today can be considered sexual harassment. But back in when we were growing up, Bob, it was not considered sexual harassment to, you know, a steal a A lot of a those kiss. things aren't even considered that today by most people. No, of course yeah. not. But they, but they are by some, what I would just simply label as progressives. You know, in, in, in the, um, the kidnapping and all that, a statute of uh, limitations is... Uh, is warranted not for the kidnapping I'm sorry to say but these hanky-panky things and the stolen kiss stuff statute of limitations is warranted we don't have it in Canada though and finally on the Cosby case I have to mention the actions of the media I have a friend who actually counter-protested the feminist protesters at the Budweiser Gardens the night Cosby came to town last Thursday he counted approximately 40 protesters, feminist protests, because if he counted himself, because he was (laughs) counter-protesting. You know, Detroit's Channel 4 panned the protest with their cameras, and I, too, counted about 40. I, in fact, there was about 20 media people there, but I did not include them in the count of 40. I understand that's what the National Post reported, too. Oh, did they? Excellent. Good for them. They're they're being very accurate, then, according to my sources and what I saw uh, from the video there. The reporter for Channel 4, however, claimed 100 protesters. I I, I couldn't believe it. She said, about 100 protesters are here, and she panned, right? The cameraman panned, and I count 40. Thankfully, I could pause the image on YouTube and count, you know. Um, And the local media were saying between 100 and 200. All of the media in London claimed over 100 protesters. Uh, I think one of them claimed hundreds, plural. That's because Megan Walker, of course, came out and said they'd have 500 protesters there. Well, 40. Sorry. I think they must have included themselves in that count and then doubled it because it conflicts with other sources. In fact, the media's treatment of Bill Cosby I found contemptible, Bob. They, by rights, should have counted themselves among those protesting because, in actual fact, they were protesting Cosby. The media, that is. They took sides. I heard it on the talk shows and I saw it in the press. There was a presumption that the allegations of the women should have been taken seriously, not because of the veracity of the claims, but simply because they were being made by women. The sexism on display by the media in this town over Cosby disgusted me, just as much as it disgusted you, Bob. To distort Marsha McLuhan's nonsensical quote, the medium is the message, the media is the message. And that message is that the media has lost its sense of credibility and professionalism. The media has sunk to the level of the supermarket tabloid. But silence maybe isn't always golden. Maybe silence isn't always the way to go. From a PR standpoint, maybe. But when you're getting into something like this, is there anything else, Mel, that Bill Cosby could have done in that interview? Well, he could have hit it head on. If he is going to deny it, it's certainly more compelling when somebody says it's absolutely not true. I have never, ever been charged with the crime. End of story. I mean, that's it. But by him kind of shaking his head and the impish thing, I find the whole thing, frankly, disgusting. We're talking about... Which part? 
Which part? The fact that there are 13 known women that were named in the lawsuit that was brought in 2005. The fact that Simon from NPR was apologizing on Twitter after he had to ask the question. The fact that people are standing up and giving Bill Cosby a standing ovation over the weekend. When you have no less than four women that have come forward, given interviews, they have nothing to gain, Ashley. In fact, they have everything to lose. This isn't one person making these claims. It's, it's a true. chorus. So I hear what you're saying, but there will there will be others who say nothing ever proven in a court of law, no charges ever filed against this man. In fact, settlements reached, money paid and accepted by people who are One outraged at, yep. at what happened. So that, that does equalize things somewhat. I also want sure. to read a statement from uh, Cosby's lawyers, because they're the only ones who are talking in this. Uh, quote, the fact that they are being repeated, meaning the allegations, the fact that they're being repeated does not make them true. Mr. Cosby does not intend to dignify these allegations with any comment. So Joey, this is a country in which you are innocent till proven guilty and there hasn't even been a charge against him. Is there anything other than that he should okay. be doing? Well here's the problem. This is where public relations and public relations advisors may disagree with people like myself and or Mel or other attorneys, right, where they say, and we commonly advise Mel to keep your mouth shut. Now, from a legal perspective, you never want your client talking. These are allegations we're aware of. What about allegations where we're not that could come okay. about so that listen. could harm him? So from an attorney, I'm saying keep, keep your, your mouth, mouth shut. shut. So right. back in the Unless 70s, you're a victim, then you should always I talk. I got 30 seconds Absolutely. left. I need you both Absolutely. to hit this. Back in the 70s, I remember hearing you were wearing a short skirt you were asking for it and a lot of women felt rape didn't even exist in terms of being you know defended so is that possibly something that might be playing in here there may have been uh, rape allegations that were simply not prosecuted not even taken seriously and just ignored and would that be the same today I think it's I, I hope I want to think it's different today that based on whether it's the Penn State scandal yeah. based on scandals that we see and how quickly social Last media empowers Real people quick. no absolutely I think we're in a day and age you wear what you want you do what you do women are to be respected women are to be honored and certainly no means no okay. and if these right. allegations Joey are Jackson. true it's certainly disgusting to Horrible, but they haven't been proven, and these to this point are just allegations. Gotta leave it there, and thank you both. Thank, thank you, you so much. Now then, now then, how did you find Manila? In the Philippines. Yes, I thought so. And I also found an assignment. Isn't that wonderful? What? There he is. James K. Winthrop. He's a special emissary to persuade the Japanese government not to convert uh, $3 million into gold. Or else uh, we're going to have empty bins in Fort Knox. No good. We can't have that. Well, no. what makes him special? Well, his close friendship with his Japanese counterpart, uh, who happens to be a highly influential member of the Japanese Finance Committee. All righty. You want to go in? Yeah. Mr. Nagai-san? The man on Winthrop's right is uh, Mr. Takata. He's a very proper, very austere type gentleman and very, very moral. All righty. On the other hand, Mr. Winthrop has a reputation for chasing the chicks. Is that a fact? Does he catch many? Well, he had a very wild thing going here about ten years ago with a cabaret singer. He seems to like to show girls quite a bit. Have you figured out our assignment yet? No, now don't tell me. Let me, uh, let me not...
believe it for about seven years. We don't have time, man. Assignment is to make sure he attends to business and to make sure that he keeps the image pure. We have got to keep him away from checks. See to it, Watson. And that was a clip from the series I Spy, the television series back in the 60s, which starred uh, Bill Cosby and Robert Culp. And it was amazing how that uh, episode, the 15th episode of the, of the first season, was such a parallel to what's going on right now in the storyline. uncanny. <laughs> uncanny. And uh, so what I have to get at here, there's so much to say on this, Robert. I spent 20 to 30 hours in the past week finally researching what all the background of the complainants of, uh, who, who, were, who were making all these allegations against Cosby. And what I found was a, was a litany of, of just horror stories. Now, Bill Cosby has been criticized for not talking to the media on this, and I have arrived at the conclusion that that was the correct thing to do. And it's not that he hasn't spoken th- to this. He's spoken to this over and over again. And today we're going to begin, I don't care how long it takes, there are 30 women. Of course, 30 women can't be wrong. Eh? We believe the women. Uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. You've heard all of this. Well, there is fire and there the smoke, but the fire is not where you think it is. So this is what I want to direct people into thinking of how these stories came about and where they came from. Now, back in November, Cosby told Florida Today that he won't respond to innuendos. Quote, I know people are tired of me not saying anything, but a guy doesn't have to answer to innuendos. People should fact check. People shouldn't have to go through that and shouldn't have to answer to innuendos, he told the newspaper in a backstage interview before a sellout performance at King's Center for the Performing Arts in Melbourne, Florida. So here you have Cosby's literally begging someone in the media to check the facts, and except for what you might hear on our show today, I have yet to hear any member of the media present these allegations in light of their full context and the full stories accompanying the allegations. Stories, by the way, and this is important, told by the allegers themselves, hoisted by their own petards. They want to have a, a court case in the court of public opinion? Well, here it is. This is all out there in the court of public opinion. You can, you can find all this stuff yourself online. Uh, but the media has yet to do so. No wonder Cosby won't dignify their unresearched questions with any answers, but that's only a small part of why Cosby remains silent. Um, back in the London Free Press on January 6th, we hear that actor Keisha Knight-Pullum has opened up about Bill Cosby's sexual assault scandal, insisting the man at the center of the drama is not the one who played her dad on TV. The 35-year-old starred alongside the embattled comedian and said she's been left confused by the attacks on Cosby. She says this is not the guy she knows. And she says, I wasn't there, so you know, only the people who were there know exactly what happened. Ultimately, they're all just that, allegations, and it's very much been played out in the court of public opinion that we're still in America where ultimately you're innocent until proven guilty. That's just not the man I know, so I can't speak to it. And then the next week, TV wife says Cosby conspiracy victim in the London Free Press January 8th. And that was the day Cosby appeared in, in London here last week and the day of our previous show. Uh, the Cosby Show star Felicia Rashad, 66, says the sexual abuse allegations against Bill Cosby were orchestrated to ruin his legacy. Rashad, who starred as Cosby's on-screen wife from 1984 to 92, is adamant she never witnessed any behavior to suggest there's truth in the allegations a comedian has faced. And then they get back into this, and she says, uh, she tells uh, Showbiz 411, 
forget these women. What you're seeing is a destruction of a legacy, and I think it's orchestrated. I don't know why or who's doing it, but it's the legacy, and it's a legacy that's so important to the culture, end quote. Now, I think she has hit the nail straight on the head in arriving at her conclusion about the Bill Cosby allegation. But who's doing it and why? Well, Robert, I have come to the belief that Bill Cosby has been the victim of a vicious and organized campaign and conspiracy to use him and his reputation as a springboard for a political agenda, primarily the one that the feminist organizations and radical feminists themselves have been shouting at the top of their lungs, that we, society, the police, the individual, we have to take allegations of sexual assault more seriously. And that's what I was saying last week. I just couldn't believe how the evidence bore me out. I was just working on theory and principle up till then, right? I'd never really... I was like everybody else, taking these allegations at face value. I really didn't investigate them. Well, you do have to take allegations of sexual harassment seriously. Yes, you do. Oh, I agree. But, of course, what they want, this is a euphemism. By saying that we have to take allegations more seriously, that's not what they want. Ah. What they really mean is that we should permit libel and slander in public without consequence citing an anti-concept called the court of public opinion as their sole justification to be permitted to do so. And this is 100% consistent. It's a consistent element to all 30 of the allegations. And it is to that specific objective that this entire passion play has played itself out. What I have discovered in the list of 30 allegers, and people are going (laughs) to freak out when I say this, is a group of publicity-seeking gold diggers, extortionists, criminals, alcoholics, drug addicts, and feminists, leading the charge that all of these women should be believed simply on the basis of the fact that they are women. That's it. And here's the irony in what I've concluded. I reached my conclusion by actually reading and hearing their entire stories, not just the allegations, but the story around the allegations. You know, these women have been waiting to have their voices heard for a long time, shouted one protester at the Cosby appearance last week. So let's do that, shall we? Because we haven't yet. Now, in saying this, bear in mind, I know I'm the one taking the larger risk, if you would, given the seemingly large number of allegers, and knowing, as I emphasized on last week's show, that it only takes one legitimate victim with a credible story accompanied by credible evidence to win a case in a court of law. What are the odds, right? But the principle holds true. Even if we found one of them legitimate, that doesn't make the other 29 legitimate, okay? So that's the issue. Now, I got started thanks to Slate.com, where you can go online and find uh, on November 21st, 2014, a complete list of the women who have accused Bill Cosby of sexual assault. There's 30 of them there. They've been updating it. It was updated right up to January. And they listed them in the order that their allegations became public, but not necessarily in the order that things happened. So it gets very confusing. Out of 30, if I wanted to do all 30, I couldn't give them even two minutes to do them properly in one show. So I'm prepared to do up to five today. I've got five ready to go (laughs) to tell you the story. But I don't think we might even have the time to do that. Keep an eye on the clock for me there, will you, Robert? I've got my hand over the button to cut you off. Well, the first one is Lachelle Covington. Now, she was an actress, and, uh, you know, her, st- her story first appeared in the New York Post, March 2nd, 2000. Now, remember, this is a story that's 15 years old, okay? And the story reads, A stunning actress who asked Bill Cosby for career advice accused the comedy legend of hanky-panky after the two dined alone at a swanky Eastside townhouse. Law enforcement sources said yesterday, well, the law is involved here, 
Covington, 20, who has appeared on Cosby's CBS TV show, filed a police report saying the beloved comedian put her hand under his T-shirt and guided it south towards his sweatpants, the sources said. But Covington said she pulled her hand away, and that was the end of that. She told Cosby she was leaving, and he said, that's fine. Cops consulted the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and decided no crime had been committed because until that moment that Covington pulled her hand away, all actions had been consensual. Actually, you know, they continue to be consensual. When you say, we'll go our separate ways, that's still consensual. <laughs> but uh, so the, co the cops never questioned or charged uh, Cosby. But in its upcoming issue, the National Enquirer relatives uh, quotes Covington's relatives saying that Cosby went further, grabbing her breast, trying to put his hand down her pants and exposing himself. Bill Cosby scared her half to death, said Covington's grandfather. The Inquirer reports. Notice who the reporters are. That's very important. Not the Inquirer. Oh, yeah. Mm. And her father, Joe, told in the newspaper, Lachelle ran out of the house. She was traumatized and didn't even tell her mother for two days. Now, here's an important line. Law enforcement sources said she never mentioned these details in her report. Okay. <laughs> when a reporter went to Covington Trenton, New Jersey home yesterday, that would be March 1st, 2000, her twin sister, I wonder if it was really her twin, <laughs> slammed the door in their face saying, we don't want to talk, we don't know anything. And then reached later by phone, she says to them, Deschelles said her sister, quote, was not molested. So now they're saying nothing happened. In her police report, filed three days after the dinner, Lachelle said Cosby invited her to her, her, his, his home after she repeatedly asked him for career advice. So she was bugging him for this, right? And, and Apparently, she only had non-speaking parts on his show, and uh, she kept asking Cosby for career tips, and that's a common pattern you see to all of these. And the comedian said that when he wants to do deep thinking, he uses relaxation techniques and all this stuff, and they went on with this. But when finally they reached um, Cosby and his lawyer at the time, David Brokaw, he said, the story's not true. It did not happen. Mr. Cosby was not contacted by the police, and the first he learned about this was from the National Enquirer. So even after the story had all played out, Cosby hadn't even heard about it yet. So, hanky-panky, you know. The word itself sounds frivolous. As to the allegation as presented here in the Court of Public Opinion, which in this case is the New York Post, quoting the National Enquirer, it's not, it's not credible based on her allegation and the story itself. This is the same pattern I discovered with all the others that I've so far looked into. You know, was it really her twin sister or was it her? Here we have a report of a woman who in her own report to the police admits that whatever activity was alleged that it was consensual and remains so throughout. By her own allegation, she claims that she was the one who repeatedly asked Cosby for advice. Why repeatedly? Did he refuse to offer this advice? And, you know, feminists want us to believe her story, and I do. This alleged story itself destroys the allegation. Her own story changed no less than three times within as many lines. She told a different story to police, a different story to the Enquirer, a different story to her family, a different story to the person who called on the phone the next day. And then, even after the police have dismissed the allegation and the story ran its course, we learn from Cosby that he's the first he heard about it. To borrow a phrase from John Stossel, Give me a break, because we'll be going into our next break with what turned out to be a haunting parallel to Cosby's dilemma in a storyline of I Spy, the TV series in which Cosby co-starred with Robert Culp. What you're about to hear is a set of different facts than suggested in the Cosby issue, but the same themes and forces at play. Listen carefully for the next seven minutes, and I think you'll understand what I mean. 
You know anything about economics? You ever study that stuff? I took a few courses. Well, give me a rundown, will you? But keep it small and simple because of the size of my brain. Well, the dollar is backed up by gold. Yeah. And our reserve is at its lowest since 1938. Sorry about that. Now, if all the countries turn in their dollars, then we're going to have a lot of paper and not enough gold. Well, if they succeed in sabotaging old Winthrop, what happens then? Well, of course, they will probably devaluate the dollar and our economy will be in a lot of trouble. And, of course, well, he is vulnerable. Boy, you know it. You'd think with all that at stake, the man would settle down and tend to business. Well, what worries me is the man he's doing business with, Takata. Now, of course they're friends, but Takata will stand for no hanky-panky, and just a roving eye will queer a deal with Takata. No hanky-panky, huh? Yeah. Uh, not a roving eye. Right. What do you think about the wonderful nests of roving over to the corner where our ninny would get out and go straight to the home of hanky-panky? Can you deny these stories of drunkenness, immorality, of riotous behavior, of police interventions and arrests. No, I can't. <clears throat> no, I'm, it's true. But I, I think the whole truth uh, has not reached your ears, sir. This bath is occupied. Scott, now what are you doing here? Now don't tell me this is a coincidence. No, sir, I followed you. You followed me? By what right? Keep you out of trouble. I'm an intelligence agent. I've worked with Kelly Robinson. A tennis player? It's just his cover. He stood in for you last night with Seda. He had no right to interfere in a personal matter. Personal matter? There was a plot to ruin the mission, and so was that scene in the strip joint. We'd better get out of here before the plot thickens and maybe succeeds. If you're implying... Not implying anything. You started chasing girls before you unpacked. Chasing girls? Me. Now listen, those women all claim to be friends of Aliska's. Aliska's? She's a woman I used to know a long time ago. Cabaret singer. Well, yes, yeah, she used to sing in a cabaret. How do you know? We have a dossier. She's an old and a dear friend. And I simply try to look her up. And that's the truth. Well, then, uh... Then I apologize. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, everything we've heard about you and uh, all the reports on you, just... I'm sorry. What does your dossier tell you about Aliska? Stateless person, an entertainer in a cheap cabaret, frequently raided by the police. That's the way it read, sir. But it doesn't tell you the kind of woman she was. Warm and gentle. And I loved her. Could have. We had six months together. And then I was transferred back to the States. I tried to take her with me, but it was impossible. Immigration red tape. She was a stateless person. It would have taken years. 
I couldn't face her. I left without saying goodbye. Yeah, well, a boat has a habit of sailing whether you say goodbye or not. I wrote to her, and she answered me once to tell me she was having a child. I sent money immediately, but she didn't answer. And after a few months, my letters came back unclaimed. I never heard from her again. Now? Now I've come back. I have to find her if I can. Well, maybe we can help uh, uh, after the conference. I appreciate all you've done. I got word from Takata. He told me of your visit. And he implied that uh, he was considerably impressed by you which can only help the mission. Yeah. He's a fine old gentleman. Uh, I wouldn't take any of that tonic here, though. Well, that stuff is really too much. It's made out of fried octopus hips or something like that. Eliska! After all these years. All right. I will, Eliska. She wants to see me. When? Tomorrow. Before the conference. Uh, you told her no. It was uh, like an ultimatum. Even an old scandal is going to ruin you with the Carter. Uh, Kel? Uh, I hope you'll forgive me for saying this, sir, but um, isn't it possible that uh, out of her own bitterness she could be working with uh, Ido to uh, discredit you? I have to see her. Well, all right. Uh, not tomorrow, though. Tonight, before she gets a gets a chance to embarrass me. That's it. You shouldn't have come here. I couldn't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow. So you called. You said tomorrow morning. I didn't call. You didn't call. You must leave at once. I can't. I have to talk to you. I've got to know about the child. There is no child. I don't understand. You wrote me. There never was a child. I wrote that letter because I was hurt. Because I wanted to hurt you. Sounds like a familiar theme. Sean Brown, a.k.a. Uh, Sean Upshaw, same person that you'll hear about. Her daughter is also, um, what's her name, uh, Autumn Jackson, okay? Now, these are part of the complainant list, too. And the, the People magazine apparently originally reported it, but buried it in its celebrity pages. And then Hollywood Interrupted came out and said, well, you know, People magazine doesn't take these things seriously, but we're going to change that. In other words, they said they have an agenda, and they're going to change the whole tone of everything. And so they talk about this whole new series of bombshells, which is not a new series. These things were all done and over with 40, 40, 40 50 years ago. And, you know, they talk about, again, Covington, they bring up the one we just talked about and kind of dismissed. But interestingly enough, um, in this case, 
we're talking about her daughter, whose name is Autumn Jackson. And two days after Ennis Cosby's death, who was uh, Cosby's son, who was murdered, and there's a whole story there involved in this too. 22-year-old Autumn Jackson, who's the daughter of Sean Brown, a.k.a. Sean Upshaw, and a male companion were arrested in Los Angeles after allegedly flying there to extort $24 million from the elder Cosby in exchange for not revealing that he was her father, following an extramarital affair with her mother, Sean Upshaw, in the mid-70s. Now, that's 40 years ago, Robert. In the ensuing trial, Cosby admitted to the affair and having paid Upshaw up to $100,000 over the intervening decades to set up a trust fund in her name, but he denied that he was her father. Now, get this. Jackson, the daughter, refused to take a paternity test, so there was no way to prove it, and then she was eventually convicted of extortion and, get this, sentenced to 22 months in prison. And this person's still on the list of, of, of legitimate people, you know. And then they criticized Cosby for his political points of view of how he targeted, quote, lower-class blacks for their failure to honor the unspoken social contract of civil rights and called into question their parenting skills, and this just outraged people. Keep that story in mind because it's not insignificant in terms of understanding why Cosby's being targeted by the radical feminist left because these are their issues. Then you have someone like Carla Ferrigno, who's the wife of, uh, of Lou Ferrigno. Her whole thing, and it's from, you know, this is a new story, going back to 1967 from Rumor Fix magazine, <laughs> where she says that uh, in 1967, Bill forcefully kissed her at a party. And she never even told her husband until five years ago. And Cosby's attorneys, of course, vehemently deny the accusation, one lawyer calling the media coverage of the allegations utter nonsense. Quote, this continuing pattern of attacks on Mr. Cosby has entered the realm of the ridiculous. With a purported forceful kiss at a party in 1967, nearly 50 years ago, being treated as a current news story and grossly mischaracterized as sexual assault, attorney Singer said in a statement. You know, this story is half a century old and is a complete non-starter in its own terms. What it's doing in this list of rape allegations against Cosby is, to me, you know, um, just evidence that all the rest of the allegations are false. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to add these ridiculous claims to, to bolster the numbers. You wouldn't have to do that. And if you were a serious victim of assault, would you want to be associated with a story as frivolous and ridiculous as, as these? And then there's, of course, Joyce Emmons, who says she wakes up in bed nude with a friend of Cosby's, not even Cosby, and she points out that Bill never, ever did drugs or drank, and interestingly, she says the women around Bill and the men around Bill would often take drugs knowingly and voluntarily. She says the men partied with the drugs as well. So how does she know who gave her this pill? She just assumes it was Bill. She woke up beside this guy. She never even says, like, who is the guy? Who was his friend of Cosby? Did he have a name? Can he, can he verify your story? Can any of that come out? Not a thing. Did he have sex with her? We don't know that either. She just woke up in bed beside him. That's all the story is. And her complaint's not directed at the person who was in bed with her, but at Cosby, who she blames for the whole thing. And my guess is, cynically, that her Cosby's friend doesn't have the kind of money or fame that Cosby has, <laughs> and that that's the issue. And I could talk a lot more about that. Now, I've just touched, scra scratched the surface. What's important to note in these and all of the 30 cases thus far alleged, and I've, I've reviewed them briefly, that zero evidence has ever been available or offered and has often been refused. 
Also, the vast majority of these allegations appear only in gossip magazines and entertainment magazines. Hollywood Interrupted, Hollywood Elsewhere, The National Enquirer, TMZ, ET Online, Rumor Fix, Showbiz. They dug them all out from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year old stories and brought them forward into 2015, making them a current story. And who's behind all this? Attorney Gloria Allred, whose name couldn't be better chosen for this, who's spearheading the case against Cosby. And she's the one putting all the people together. That's why you're suddenly seeing 30 people come out. It's one person manipulating it all. And she says there's going to be more coming forth this year, so we, get, we can wait for those. And she says they won't be the last to do so. And, uh, you know, Cosby was recently recently again defended by his on-screen wife. And this is interesting, too, from Wikipedia, Bill Cosby scandal. Uh, Allred is representing a number of female rape accusers in the Bill Cosby scandal. Her involvement in the matter has been received with a great deal of public and cri outcries and criticisms. Moreover, her approach to resolving the matters have also been met with criticisms and increasing distrust of the female accusers. So the tide is starting to, starting to turn. Now let me conclude by asking everyone the question that all of the commentators on this issue were asking in the first half of the show. Why didn't Cosby speak out? Because he's guilty? That's the assumption. But that doesn't make sense. He could have pointed to any of the examples we just covered today to completely destroy the credibility of those accusers. He could have said, oh, Miss X is the one who went to jail for trying to extort me. Extort me. Her mother gave differing accounts of her experience to the police, her family, the media. Oh, sorry, I never met Miss Y. Or give me a break to the half-century-old alleged kiss at a party. Okay, he could have said any of those things. Is it starting to make sense now why Cosby did not speak to these allegations? It would never end. I think he made the right decision, irrespective of the individual allegations, the legal implications, or the media fallout. It's just like you said, Robert, the media is the message. And if your story doesn't fit their message, your story will simply not be heard or told. And right now the tabloids are angry with Cosby because he doesn't like them too much. There's a huge story there involving the murder of his son, and that's where that dispute started. And we'll be talking about that. Cosby is scheduled to play in Denver this weekend, and the feminists continue to be hard at work yelling and shouting, we believe the women, to which I say again, give me a break. And break is exactly what we have to do for our show today. To be continued. Join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back. Color into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Oh. Who is the redhead? Redhead? Oh. Oh. That was an Irish setter who was kissing me. I don't suppose you bother to tell her that you are married. Lisa, she was a dog. Just like a man. She lets you kiss her and then you go around telling everybody that she's a dog. That's the way we are. Now, about Arnold. First, I want to hear more about the Irish settler. Setter, it's a hunting dog. And they go around kissing people. Yes. You know, when you make up a story, it sure is a cockamamie. <laughs>